What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've heard about it by now. Uh, one of our partners is BetDSI. Uh, we love them. And if you love betting and if you love the Super Bowl, which we all do, whether or not the Dolphins are in it or not, then you can bet this weekend on the biggest game, one of the biggest games in the world. If you think Raheem Mostert is going to run for 200 yards, if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to throw for under 100, if you think Nick Bose is going to have three sacks, five sacks, seven sacks, if you think that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 500 yards, who do you think is going to be the MVP? Will it be Chris Jones? Will it be Emmanuel Sanders? Will it be Debo Samuel? You know, will it be, will it be Tyreek Hill? You can bet on all of those things. You can bet whether Ty Matthew will have a pick, two picks, five picks, if Frank Clark will have a sack. All of the things, whether or not Andy Reid gets dunked at the end of the game or if Kyle Shanahan gets dunked at the end of the game with Gatorade, I'm pretty sure you could probably bet on that too. Bet DSI is the place to go. Great mobile interface, great online service. And if you type in the code YARDS101, that's YARDS101, you will get plenty of special stuff courtesy of Three Yards per Carry. That is Bet DSI. Bet on the Super Bowl, win some money, spend it on your wife or on your husband. You know what to do. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I have Simon Clancy here with me. I do not have Chris, Chris Kaufman because he is at a Super Bowl event. Simon, uh, by the way, have you ever covered a Super Bowl? Uh, not not uh, in the US, no. Okay. Well, Chris is covering a Super Bowl event, and today he learned that he has access to the locker rooms. And i just like to say that we here at Three Yards Per Carry, Alfredo Artiaga and Simon Clancy, are not responsible for any harassment he may cause Pat Mahomes this week. <laughs> to be fair, he's not going to get anywhere near Pat Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, he is allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, from from friends that work for the magazine and have done the last like, 10 Super Bowls, quarterbacks, good luck. Get, I mean, they just go up onto a podium, do their thing, and then you don't get near them. The best bet is to find, you know, niche little players that, you know, go and find, like, the, the, the left guard or the, um, you know, one of the special teams guys. They'll give you what you're really after. If you, are, if you just try hunting the best players, you'll get screwed. Yeah. Well, Chris Kaufman is not here with us, but we will have him later on this week as we preview the, the Super Bowl, the actual game. We will talk about a football game here on this podcast. But before then, uh, some sad news yesterday. Uh, the U.S. sports world, I don't know how it, how it played across the pond in the U.K. and in Europe, but uh, Kobe Bryant 
uh, died in a helicopter crash along with eight others, one including his daughter, Gianna, uh, age 13. It's pretty sad around here. I don't. I asked you yesterday. I asked you guys yesterday on the on the WhatsApp chat if you can remember a higher profile athlete dying as young as Kobe Bryant, and nobody um, I, could come up with one. Yeah, I mean, I I think I mean it, it. It's hugely shocking, and obviously, you know, it's been front page news in the newspapers here, and was leaving all the. The news bulletins this morning. I, I think that the only thing that I can kind of compare it to, and I suppose it's a sport that doesn't necessarily resonate in the United States, but the death of Ayrton Senna, the Formula One driver in uh, way back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was probably the greatest motor racing driver of all time um, and was killed in, a, in an accident in, the, in a race, um, I think in Imola. Um, and um yeah in san marino in fact i'm um, just looking now and um i i think and i can remember kind of where i was when i found out and i was probably god how old was i um 20 19 20 and i think yesterday i kind of had the same sort of shock effect just that you, that, you know you just didn't expect it to to happen at all um and, and especially and i thought it was a terrible day for journalism yesterday frankly i mean look tmz have a job to do and mm-hmm. But breaking the news before the families had been told, I thought was pretty horrendous. You know, then you had journalists. The, the race, the race to be first. Excuse me, the race to be first, rather than yeah. right, uh, is a huge issue in modern journalism. I think, and you know, I spent twenty four years at the BBC, mm. where you were told that you know better be right than first, and, and I think that to me is you know resonated through some of yesterday's appalling reporting. But you know, you talk about how he resonated in Europe, and Kobe was a huge fan of europe he was a big uh he, he spoke a number of languages spoke italian for example fluently yeah. uh, he's a big fan of ac milan the football team uh, and often holiday over here and spent time over here at football clubs and things he was friends with neymar both when he was at brazil and uh, when he was at barcelona and at psg yeah he was a huge, a story, huge football fan. yes yeah yeah and i can recall a story where um uh, luka Doncic, um the does he play for the Mavericks? Yes, um, and he's a star, a superstar. Yeah, the Slovenian uh, the basketball player. And, and Doncic grew up as a massive Kobe fan. And um, he said that he played for Dallas against the Lakers maybe last season, maybe early this season. And um, he's obviously thrilled that, that Kobe was there. Gianna was there as well. Um, and he said that he got the ball uh, at one point and it, sort of, it was an interception. He just went down. I was going to just lay it up and put the ball in. And uh, he said, literally, as he was sort of taking off and, and about to flip the ball into the basket, he heard a shout in Slovenian. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, sorry, he heard a shout and he missed the basket. And it was an easy miss. And when he got into the locker room, he was asked a question, you know, by the way, what happened when you had your easy layup that you missed? And he said it was the most bizarre thing because I was literally taking off and about to put it in the basket. He said, and I heard this shout in Slovenian. He said, and I turned around and there was Kobe and he was smiling. And it was Kobe who shouted at him in Slovenian. And, you know, Doncic was A, amazed that he was there to watch him play, but B, the fact that he knew his own language and kind of speaks to the guy that, that he was. And I just think it's hugely shocking and it's hugely sad um, and sad for the other seven passengers as well. Um, but yeah, you kind of expected that this guy was going to, you know, spend, what was he, 41? Next 41 20, years 30 yeah. years doing 
great things off the court. He was the father, he was, you know, he seemed to be the sort of father that everybody, you know, I've got children, you've got children, Chris has got mm-hmm. children. Um, a kind of father that you would want to be. I've seen interviews with him today with Rich Eisen and, and other people talking about how, you know, he would get up and do weights first thing in the morning. Then he'd, you know, be there for when his kids woke up. Then he'd take the helicopter, ironically enough, to practice. So after dropping the kids off at school, practice, do his extra stuff after practice, do the media, take the helicopter back home so that he could get in the car and drive and be in the, the pickup line to pick his kids up from school. Um, so yeah hugely shocking very sad day and um you know there's not really much else to say it's just a it's just a huge shock yeah here in miami uh we uh, we we looked at it you know a little bit differently than everybody else because uh Dwayne wade and kobe bryant you know the national media is not you know bringing this up as as a rivalry but the rivalry was there and it's subtle if if you talk to any basketball analysts, you know, worth listening to, they all say the same thing. The best shooting guard of all time is Michael Jordan. The second best is Kobe Bryant. And the third best is Dwayne Wade. They played each other 20 mm-hmm. times in their careers, and their numbers are basically identical to each other. And Dwayne Wade uh, got the better of him. He won 11 of the 20 games, but they were close. All of the games were close. All the games were tightly contested. And these were two guys that used to really, really compete against each other. And Dwayne Wade's Dwayne, Dwayne Wade has a very good uh, PR staff, I guess that that likes to sell him as this very uh, lovey-dovey father now, <laughs> nowadays. But he was, uh, dare I say, a violent competitor, just like Kobe Bryant. Mm. And yesterday he was talking about what Kobe Bryant really brought out from him. And I always remember that that All Star game where Dwayne Wade and NBA All-Star games are notorious for being very, very soft, and the player's not really caring until the last five minutes of the game if the game is close, and then there's some money on the line. And I remember Dwayne Wade, uh, he felt he got fouled by Kobe Bryant, and he starts to complain to the referee, and the referee ignores him, and that's a big no-no in the NBA. If you're a star and you get ignored by a referee, you're going to do something so the referee notices you, so on the way down, he's defending Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant uh, plays uh, a cross dribble around Dwayne Wade and toward the baseline, and Dwayne Wade knows he's beat, so he has to follow him. So what does Dwayne Wade decide to do? He rakes him across the, across the nose and breaks Kobe Bryant's nose, okay, sure. in an all-star game, <laughs> okay? And you would think, wow, this is Dwayne Wade. This is a star at the height of his powers fouling another star at the height of his powers, breaking his nose, there's going fi- to be a fight that's going to break out here, right? Well, Kobe Bryant just looks back at Dwayne Wade and smiles. And after the game, he says, I just like the way he competes. So that's all you really needed to know about Kobe Bryant. Uh, a violent competitor, okay? This mm. guy was maniacal in how he prepared for his sport. And... And you could just really tell, like, this, is a, this was a highly intelligent individual. And it's a shame that, you know, we're just not, you know, we're not going to get his Hall of Fame speech. And I thought that was the saddest mm. part about yesterday because he was due in a year for, the, for his Hall of Fame induction. And he was going to be unanimous. You know, he was going to be unanimously elected. That, that was no doubt about that. So we're not going to get that. And that's a shame. But we're also not going to see, you know, what would have become of him – in his second life, 
going forward, which could have been, could have led to ownership maybe one day. Mm. So who knows? So yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it was a sad day and all the tributes are still going around. And yesterday on Twitter, I said that they should, that the NBA should dedicate one day where everybody wears number 24 or number eight. And hopefully the players honor him by playing as hard as they can in those games and play those games like if it were game seven of the NBA finals. Cause that's what Kobe mm. did for his entire career. You know, this is a guy that, that I just took free throws with a torn Achilles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I just, I just think that the unfinished Kobe Bryant, the, you know, the, the, this kind of complicated sports style that we had so, had so much more to give. I think, I think that's the, yes. the, the biggest sadness in all this. Yeah, it's always uh, it always happens when people die. Everybody starts, uh, you know, uh, ascribing more more to the person than what they really were. But not in this case. It's not crazy, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kobe Bryant could have been president of the United States in ten years. I'm oh. I'm telling you that it's it's if he wanted to do politics, you know what I mean? If he cared yeah, about 100%. politics, it's entirely possible he could have ran for senator of California one you know won a seat and then decided to run for president one day because he was that intelligent that well liked by everybody really by rivals by fans by everybody so we're going to transition off of this sad note to you know the the silly things that we do in life which is sports our distractions and this past weekend we had the senior bowl and if you hear it Especially for Mike Tannenbaum. Justin Herbert is now the lock to be the, the number one overall pick. <laughs> and uh, uh, I can't help but laugh. But, you know, one game and one week of practice, I don't think, doesn't, doesn't change many minds. But uh, what did you make of the game? What did you make of the final of the week of practices at the Senior Bowl? I mean, I think we have to be very careful about a handful of practices in a field in Alabama. Yes. And uh, it seems to happen every year that people suddenly change their opinion dramatically over what happens in, you know, three days of practice and, and one game, you know, and, and, and essentially all that evidential evidence of um, four years in Justin Herbert's case and, you know, two slash three years in most other players' cases suddenly gets chucked out the window because of what they do in practices. I get high level of competition, obviously, um, but because Justin Herbert was MVP in an all-star game, uh, I don't think necessarily we should be, you know, changing his grade particularly because it shouldn't take away from the f 43 games that have gone before that 44th one. Um, look, I, I think he deserves credit for, for turning up, frankly. Um, you, you very rarely see guys, you know, playing in the senior bowl who are likely to be top 10 picks and he probably is going to be a top 10 top 12 pick uh, so I applaud him for that I applaud him for for, for doing a, a, the job you know uh, and throwing the ball um, as well as could be expected I think I, I've seen a few of his passes from practice and you know he made some terrific throws I also saw somewhere he did what he does week in, week out for Oregon, which is throw the ball into the turf or miss open guys or all those sorts of things. Um, but look, hats off to the guy. I think, he, I think he had a good week of practice, but I just don't think it should be changing people's grades and the way that people view him. Um, I think the most important thing will have been those practices, certainly not the game. You know, most scouts, most GMs don't watch the game, don't stay for the game. You know, I spoke to one scout uh, on Friday and he was already back home 
uh, in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how important, how much importance they place in the game. Um, I think for me, there were some, you know, uh, overall, uh, yeah, I thought Jordan Love uh, did pretty well. Um, I, I was very impressed by the performances of some of the offensive linemen, especially guys that I think the Dolphins will be interested in, uh, notably Josh Jones of, of Houston, but uh, Lloyd Cushenberry of LSU, who I, I think is a, a terrific player. Um, he comes into vivid focus, I think, for the Dolphins in that sort of 25 to 40 area, uh, especially for a team looking for a, for a centre. Um, and I think that uh, Tyler Biadash of, of Wisconsin is, is going to slip down possibly even into the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, which will be a shock to some people, but I just think, you know, his performances last year didn't didn't stand up to to the test. Um, and Cushionbury had an outstanding year on the best offensive line in the um, in the draft. Damian Lewis, who plays next to him at LSU, also had a great week. There was lots of you know Javon Kinlaw, um, lots of guys who had terrific weeks, and uh, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. But again, I, I, I would say, look, and I'd say this for for guys that I like. I'd, mm-hmm. If Tua had turned up as a senior and 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 won MVP in the in the All Star game and had a good week of practice. I would also urge caution. Yeah, you know you cannot be changing your opinion based on what happened in those practices. You know, you take a guy like Nick Harris and Washington who had a bad week. Okay, Absolutely. you know that's going to all, all all these things are going to do is make scouts go back and look at the film again to try and see if they saw what happened in a, in Alabama in Mobile, whether or not that that has manifested itself throughout some of the games or if that was just a, a bad week that's what it should be doing what it shouldn't be doing is somebody taking a guy you know and moving him way up the board because of three practices that to me right. is that's how you get yourself fired absolutely and uh let me remind people last year uh Gardner Minshew in these practices and in that game looked absolutely incompetent and he looked like a guy that did not belong at the next level he did not look like even an XFL quarterback. He just looked flat out bad. He looked undraftable. Well, we see that he's actually a, a, a pretty successful rookie quarterback last year, I would say, because his numbers were right, and he won a couple of games. So, you know, and I think he's an NFL quarterback, a starting NFL quarterback moving forward. So you got to be very careful with what you learn from this week. Yeah. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. go back to 2012. Yeah. Russell Wilson didn't have a particularly great senior bowl week. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. And now look at him. He's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer um, and is going to be runner-up to, to Lamar Jackson for MVP, and he's only getting better. Um, now, now, one guy know. that did uh, come to my attention this past week in the practices was from Daniel Jeremiah, his favorite offensive lineman in this draft, and it's not because he's putting him in the top 10 or in, even in the first round, but he's saying that somebody's going to find a good offensive lineman when they draft this guy, and that's Terrence Steele of Texas Tech. He was absolutely mm. horrific in that game. And I, mm. I don't know, and I never knew much about this guy before because, you know, he plays for Texas Tech. I don't watch too much Big 12. And Chris didn't know much about him last week. So I'll ask you, do you know en- enough about Terrence, Terrence Steele to talk about him? Because Daniel Jeremiah seems to love him. But he I had mean, I, a rough time on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he, I, think the, I think the senior bowl shows up guys who have got upside and potential and that sort of physical um guys that are malleable i think the senior ball really shows them up um i think the guys who are you know well coached and not raw and guys who have played lots of so john simpson for example clemson turned up did exactly what he expected them to do a 40 plus game starter 
turned up, was solid all week, blocked pretty well, did everything you expect a guy like that to do. I think it's much more difficult for guys who are sort of athletic freaks, who are, you know, may have only played a year, a year and a half. And I look at Steele and I think there's a guy who's got an incredible body and looks like he could absolutely physically you know, overwhelm opponents. Um, but I think that his body is developing and I think that, uh, I, I just don't think that he is ready yet. I think they really, who's the kid? Is it Alex Taylor, the really tall kid who Omar Kelly was banging on about? He's about six foot eight. He's exactly the same kind of guy. He's a malleable piece of moldable sort of clay who in two, three, four years time might turn into something. And, I, and to me, Steele is that sort of guy. I think he's got huge power. I think he does a great job with his hips and stuff, but I'm not sold that. And I've not seen a great, I've, I've seen, you know, a game and a half of his, um, only because Daniel Jeremiah was talking him up. Um, but I don't think, you know, I, I don't think those games suit those type of players because I think it just shows them up for what they are, which is essentially raw and they need work. Yeah. And Terrence Steele is uh, Daniel St- Jeremiah famously said uh, he plays every single position and we don't know which one he plays but mm. he projects him as a left tackle and he's played right tackle right guard left guard left tackle the only he's position big he has to play well. is the center <laughs> yeah i mean he's what six six is he six seven six, he's a six, big guy yeah, yeah he's six six 310 pounds so yeah. he's ideal size uh, cookie cutter size for a left yeah, tackle absolutely. in the nfl uh one guy who shined and i guess you could call him defensive mvp and that was bradley anane Yep. And I didn't know much about him. Uh, do you? Yeah, I've seen him a, f- a fair few times, actually. I, I enjoyed that Utah team. And actually, you know, oftentimes you'd, I'd wake up in the morning and the, the back end of those Utah, you, you know, the sort of the, the, the Pac-12 after dark games would sort of go on, um, you know, would be still be on the TV if I was getting up early on a Sunday morning. Um, so I caught a fair bit of him. And, and also watching uh, Blackman and Jalen Johnson, the guys on the back end, I think the Dolphins would be quite interested. Uh, to me, I think, Brad, and I've actually talked about him with the WhatsApp as well. I think um, to me, NA is the, is the number one pure pass rusher in the draft. Um, and I think he has extensive um, hand usage. And I think it's significantly advanced for a college player. I think one of the questions that will come out of the senior bowl and moving forwards is how much better can he be? Um, because when you are that advanced with your hands, you don't have that much more to learn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but you will see him, you know, his kind of cross chop, he will grab hold of a guy's arm and he will yank you that kind of Jason Pierre Paul used to do a move when he was at South Florida, a sort of a push pull where he'd engage, he'd grab the guy's arm, he'd, pull him towards him and then push him out of the way. And this is like really violent move. And, you know, big six foot five, six foot six guards and tackles would just be, you know, thrown off their, just like they're on roller skates. Uh, and that's what Anna does. And also he has, just he has speed around the edge, which he proved. And it was, it was fascinating watching him and Josh Uche, Uche the sort of outside linebacker defensive end from Michigan, you know, at the weekend, just converging on quarterbacks, almost, you know, it was like watching Bradley Chubb and, and Von Miller last year when they were mm-hmm. when they were in their height and the two guys coming off the edge and, and sort of meeting at the quarterback. Um, yeah, I think he's a terrific player. I think he's a top thirty-five, top forty player. And I think what you'll get from him is solid. You know, he's going to be a really interesting sub-package option for teams in the way that Alton Smith was. I mean, I, I don't expect him to get nineteen sacks as a rookie, but that kind of you know, he's not going to play every down necessarily when he's there. But you just chuck him in on third and long, or you know, third and six obvious passing downs, and I think he will make hay in the NFL. And it wouldn't surprise me if he turned up with ten sacks by the end of next season. 
Yeah, and uh, that move you're describing uh, at on Hard Knocks this year, the Raiders were on Hard Knocks, and they had a joint practice with the uh, with the Rams, with the Los Angeles Rams, and Richie Incognito very famously had had that scene where he was blocking Aaron Donald, and he went to the sideline, and he's like, I can't keep him from grabbing my wrists mm. every single play. 100%. So, you know, Richie Incognito was having a hard time with that move where Aaron Donald just kept, lunging at him grabbing his wrists and moving him wherever he wanted to go a guy that really popped for me all week in the practice sessions at least in the clips that i saw and then he popped for me again in the game that's troy pride of Notre dame yeah now i think uh there's a lot of guys in this that that really pop because i think bradley and he i think i think he fits more of a traditional like flex defense defensive end you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know mm. if he's necessarily for us, you know, quote unquote for us, but Troy Pride, I think, is. Yeah, uh, I was. Um, what do you think? I was. I thought that he was a guy coming into the season who could potentially go in the first round, yeah. and he had a really down year, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding in the practices. He is incredibly instinctive. He's got a uh, six foot. He's got great ball skills. He's physical. He's a he's a guy that you can leave. You know had proved up to this season that you could leave one-on-one on an island and get the job done. Uh, and I was re- he was one of my most disappointing players. You know, some of the, you look at some of the players like DeMarcus Acey of Missouri and, you know, people like that. Paulson Adebo, who went back to the Stanford corner, I thought had a disappointing season and got abused by Gabe Davis at UCF. I, I thought um, Pride was fell into that category for me, a guy who didn't quite get across the line in terms of what you were hoping. But he turned up and absolutely balled out. Um, uh, the senior bowl so he's another guy now where scouts are going to be going back and and look assessing the 2019-20 tape but also going back and looking at 2018 and seeing what he did best where he worked best Um, and you know he's a guy who played very well alongside the love kid who Julian Love who was drafted last year how much you know, how much was he reliant on love? How much was his bad performance down to his own, you know, what's going on? What was happening off the field? Were there, you know, extenuating circumstances for his bad performance? Why all of a sudden did he turn up at the senior bowl and absolutely play lights out and shut receivers down, left, right and centre? That will be the biggest question. It's those guys. It's the detective work now that scouts have to do, you know, because they've got the film. Uh, and it, what, what makes scouts nervous and what makes scouts go back and reevaluate is guys that fall out of the parameters from what they're expecting. You're expecting a guy to come in and perform between point A and point B. And if they suddenly, if they're all over the place, mm. they're like, okay, why is, why is this guy performing like this? We need to really go and reassess and reevaluate. Right. Now, another guy that I think kind of fits for, for the, what the Dolphins want, although the body type, I don't see it because of what we've seen. But last week, uh, Chris told me, look, things are different now. They have a new, you know, they have a new offensive line coach and they have a new philosophy. So a lot of those cookie cutter things, you know, they, Dave, Coach Googs uh, famously had a type, a type that he was looking for. He liked a little bit slimmer guards. He liked guys that were more athletes than just, you know, you know, to not use a, <laughs> an unfavorable term, but fat guys. He didn't like fat guys. But Damian Lewis, he's kind of squatty. They did draft Shaq Calhoun, who has kind of the same body type. But he, he kind of looks like a plug-and-play right guard to me in, at the next yeah. level. And I don't think he's a top 50 pick. No, I think he's probably a late day two. Yes. 
guy i think i mean i thought he was a, i thought he was outstanding you go back and look at you go back and look at some of the pit drills and whatever i thought it was absolutely outstanding in the in the one-on-ones um you look at the the first touchdown of the game the, the screen pass to uh, michael p ryan and he is out in front and he blocks one guy and then he gets that guy to the floor and then comes in and uh, and blocks another guy and you, you you go back and you look at, at what he did against Oklahoma you go back and look at what he did against Alabama you know playing against Neville Gallimore and playing against some of those guys inside that Nick Saban has on that defense um I just thought explosive out of his stance I thought he plays with power and he plays with technique and you know he is a I think his nickname I'm sure somebody said to me that his nickname is the pancake machine or the pancake maker um <laughs> And I think uh, he, I think he made some pretty serious money for himself this week. You know, he was just the, the, he just kept, you know, in the phone box area, um, which is that sort of tight area for people that don't know. One of those coaching turns where you know guards, the, the two guards in the centre, essentially make hay. They're they're making their plays. They're doing what they need to do in that small phone box area, phone box sized area. I thought it was outstanding, but also just getting to the second level and just ripping off um, off. Um, you know, linebackers and safeties. I thought he did a brilliant job. And he and Cushenberry, to me, are two guys that the Dolphins really should be should be all over. Cushenberry, to me, is the number one centre, on, certainly on my board. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Lewis is a, a very good player. Would and you, yeah, Go on, you, sorry. Would you earmark a, a third-round pick or would you hope to get him with something later for Damian Lewis? Um, I think that... I think if you don't get him, I think he will. Not, the Dolphins will not get him in the fourth round, in okay. part because of where they pick. But I think he, I think he's a third round pick, and I think teams will just look at a guy who's, you know, strong, can move people off the ball, can get out with with great athleticism, who's got patience, very powerful, experienced, you know, on the on one of the best teams in college football history that he's just played on, and he's played on the best offensive line of one of the best teams in college football history. I think to to me, that is um. You, you know, he's not, I don't think he's got a great body. You know, he's not David DeCastro or he's not one of these, right. but I think that people will, you know, I think his star will ascend, I think, as we get towards, um, as we get towards um, draft day. Yeah. And things, and like Chris said last week, things have changed. Uh, it's a brand new regime. So they're probably not picking offensive linemen based on last year's template. Exactly. So, so a guy like Damian Lewis might be on the radar while he wasn't on the radar last year. Like that's not a guy that they would have taken last year. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And to me, something... he's a significant upgrade on what we have at left guard. Oh, uh, well, anything a, 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 <laughs> a shopping cart full of cement is a better is yeah, a better true. is is an upgrade over what we have right now at the guard positions. So yeah, we're looking. You know, we're open. Like, if, if, if we're going to put an ad in the paper, yeah, guards are needed, as in all of them. Like, we need at least mm. three on the roster. Because <laughs> I don't think we have any. I don't think we have any yeah. unless we're moving Jesse Davis back. But And even uh, then. And even then, yes. Like, you, you and me are in the – yeah, we're in the same page. Like, we're not yeah. big Jesse Davis's, Jesse Davis fans. We are not. No, we are not. But, you know, I guess he's adequate. I guess he, he can do for now. But, yes, they need three guards. In my opinion, yeah. at least, they need three guards for this roster because they don't have fix any. The, fix the lines as well. I mean, this is, we've been talking about this for years, but yeah. fix, you know, you look at, you look at, certainly you look at the 49ers, but you look at um, the Chiefs as well. Mm-hmm. Look at those offensive, you know, same with the, same with, um, with Tennessee. 
um, and with Green Bay, actually, you know, you've got those two tackles, you know, they, they drafted the kid from, um, uh, they drafted the kid from Mississippi State, had a great year, they a strong centre, I think Billy Turner was the one guy that let them down, ironically enough, the right guard, who obviously was the third round pick of the Dolphins, but you look at the Titans with Taylor Lewan and Ben Jones and, uh, and Conklin, and yes. uh, you look at the 49ers, they've got those three guys inside, play really well as a, you know, especially in that, especially in that, Kyle Shanahan, Bobby Turner, one cut and go, you know, zone blocking offense. That's that's one cut go, one cut go. And that's what they've done for years. That's the Shanahan staple. And that's the Bobby Turner who's the running back coach staple. And it has been through the Mike Shanahan era with Terrell Davis and Alandis Gary and God, whoever else, Ruben Drones and whoever else made a thousand yards who you know, where where you know, Ruben Drones was a you know, cast off. Alandis Gary was a sixth round pick. Terrell Davis was a sixth round pick. It's just like, you know. Um, so I, I think you, you look at the interior of that 49ers offensive line, it's great. But then, you know, you've got McGlinchey and Joe Staley at tackle. You look at that defensive line with Eric Armstead and, and DeForest Buckner and Solly Thomas and Nick Bozer and D Ford. And, you know, that line is that line is fixed. Same with, same with the Chiefs with Chris Jones up front and Frank Clark on the edge. And, you know, it's... Um, yeah, fix that's that. yeah, that's that's, the, the Dolphins need to do that and, and I suspect what they'll do is that I personally believe that they will target one of those positions in free agency and you know, Chris Greer has consistently talked about not overspending they're not going to they're not going to go wild they're not going to but they've got to do something they've got to fix something mm-hmm. you know, you've got all this money and, and I suspect that one of the two lines will be fixed and I suspect it will be the, the defensive line they will try and fix in free agency um, and try and pick up some players in the draft. I, and I just hope, I, I hope that they, they, they don't soft shoe it around certain players. If they think that certain players aren't good enough, just get rid of them. The, to me, there's no point in keeping guys around who you don't think you're going to improve. And, and to me, you look at a guy like Michael Dieter and you think, okay, is he going to get better? How is he going to get better? I mean, I don't think they will get rid of him, but I don't think that should stop them from wanting to draft a John you know, John Simpson or a Shane Lemire or, you know, a good left guard. I, I, I think that's what they should be looking to do, upgrading all the time. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, last, in last week's show, uh, Chris actually, uh, I, I guess you can, you can say he guarantees it because I was speaking about uh, Jack Conklin and he all but said that he can guarantee that that's not a guy that they will go after that they would look to try to make do with Jesse Davis at right tackle that the investment has been made. Now we do have new, new personnel uh, looking at the offensive line. So maybe they look at it with a different eye. And yeah, I, I, don't, I, I just feel that I don't believe if you, that if you can get a Jack Conklin, I think you fix two spots. Cause I think Jesse Davis is passable as a NFL right guard. I would look to upgrade, but I think he's passable. So you would fix at least half the line with one fell swoop. You, I think if they draft tour and you're expecting Jesse Davis to man his blind side, I think you're mugging yourself off massively. Yes. Uh, what do you think of Jack Conklin? Is he? I think he's going to be expensive. But yeah, he, of course he's going to be expensive. I mean, you look at jo, well, we you know, Joe Thune, for example, will probably be the highest paid left guard in, in football. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what will, you know, Conklin came back off the injury, played really well. And there's a reason that they're able to run the ball and protect Ryan Tannehill. And that was because, you know, that offensive line is really good. You know, they they maul people. Conklin mauls people. Um, back healthy now after the injury. Um, and if I was Tennessee, I would certainly wouldn't let him go. 
um, but they may have to make a decision because you know yeah, they've got Tannehill yeah, to pay, a, they've got Derek Henry to pay, yeah, and they've got Conklin. Yeah, it's it's more about it's more about uh, an opportunity for Miami as they're busy trying to sign uh, a running back to the highest, you know, to to, the, to a very large number and make him the highest paid running back in the league, and then try to solidify their quarterback position by trying to get Ryan Tannehill to take a longer term deal and maybe possibly even franchising him. You could see how Jack Conklin just slinks away into Miami mm. as we give him a big contract. But Chris says no. So you say maybe. Well, I just don't think that – I, I, I think it would be borderline – I mean, I think it would be foolhardy in extremis if they went into the season with Jesse Davis at right tackle. That, to mm. me, just – I mean, that can't be a thing. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> okay. I would say this. I said that the offensive line needed a a strategy of buy one, trade for one, draft one. Uh, I think if you can sign a Jack Conklin and possibly trade for the right guard, not not a right guard, but the right guard. There was a few that were available toward the end of the season. And you drafted, let's say, a Josh Jones. Like, that's a pretty overwhelming makeover of the offensive line. One of the unanswered questions of this offseason is what's going to happen to Trent Williams. Yes. You know, you could make a pretty interesting conversation around, let's say that he's back to 100% and Washington will take a third round pick for it. And all of a sudden, you know, let's say for argument's sake that you sign Joe Th- you trade for Trent Williams, you sign Joe Thune. Now all of a sudden you've got Trent Williams at left tackle, Joe Thune at left guard. You draft Lloyd Cushenberry. You know, maybe even with the, the, that Houston pick, 26, 28, whatever it is. Uh, then you have Jesse Davis at right right um, guard. And then you look at a Ben Barch or a Lucas Niang or, you know, one of those good right college right tackles. Um, and all of a sudden, there's your remade offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it, 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 it puts Michael Dieter to the bench, but it probably helps him. Um, because he's not in the firing line, it helps him build some strength, uh, and you know he becomes a valuable backup. But I think to me, all of a sudden, you fix that, you know, you fix that offensive line, because you can't. I just don't think there's a scenario where you can, yeah, or, or you can just look. You can just go all rookie. You know, Josh Jones. You can take John John Simpson, Cushenberry, Damian Lewis, Lucas Niang. You know, and away you go. And say, I tell you what, Tour isn't going to play until twenty twenty one anyway. So just do your best, grow as a unit, let's see where we end up. Um, I mean, I, I can't necessarily see that happening, but you know, I, I think the Trent Williams question will be very interesting one. And what, one thing I also think as well is that the Dolphins will, A, move up and down all over the board. I think they'll be trading up, trading down, moving around, trading picks for next year, all those sorts of things. But I, wouldn't, I also wouldn't be surprised to see them as you know, heavily involved in trading for players as well. The talk today for, uh, about Matthew Judon, uh, and the the Ravens signing him and then uh, and then dealing him that that wouldn't surprise me. For example, um, if he doesn't hit free agency and if Baltimore are willing to give him up, yeah, the a, guy that, that, in that. a guy that I think is really interesting, and I spoke to I spoke about him on a previous podcast. But I heard that Trey Turner was available via trade this past season, mm. and he does want a big number coming up, and I believe he's coming up in a year. So I don't know if you want to pay a guard a lot of money, but if Carolina, you know, they have a brand new staff over there, maybe they want picks. And if you could send a third round pick over there for Trey Turner, Trey Turner is one of, I would say he's a top 10 guard in the NFL. 
And some people like him enough to make him a top five guard, but he's absolutely a top 10 guard. If you could get somebody like that, I think, and you have the picks, you have the capital to go shopping for one. So I, I think Trey Turner will make a lot of sense, but uh, you had some special information, I guess, on the, on these quarterbacks and how the NFL perceives them. Yeah. I spoke to an NFL GM uh, with some pretty significant success of drafting quarterbacks um, for a magazine piece. And he just talked me through essentially the top six quarterbacks in the draft, how he has them on his board, having, uh, you know, coming into the senior bowl. So obviously, you know, work still to be done, senior bowl, combine, pro days, all those sorts of things. So he had them in, in let's go in descending order. Uh, Jake Fromm was the sixth ranked player on his board, sixth ranked quarterback on his board, sorry. Uh, Jordan Love at five. Jacob Eason at four, Tour at three, Justin Herbert at two, and Joe Burrow at one, which I thought was interesting because I would have them Tour at one, uh, Joe Burrow at two, Jordan Love at three, Justin Herbert at four, uh, Jacob Eason at five, and Jake Fromm at six. Um, mm. but, but interesting. Um, but he gave me very interesting comments about all of them. So he said about Burrow, doesn't know him yet, but scouted both of his brothers when he was uh, when they were at Nebraska. Tough kids, tough family. Dad was a coach. Uh, he said that he doesn't have he has the, the the don't back down gene. He says tape tells you everything. Very calm out on and off the field. Uh, obviously has that kind of calmness intangible that the great ones have. He said you know you look at someone like Baker Mayfield, he doesn't have it. He said, you'll never see Burrow grabbing his crotch or fighting with guys on Twitter. He talked a little bit about the adversity that he faced with Urban Meyer and said how difficult Urban can be. Um, and said, he's, you know, it's not easy to work with. He said, but, you know, to do what he did at LSU, certainly this season is incredible, shows his intelligence. And he said, I compare him to Andrew Luck mentally in terms of the mental makeup. He doesn't have Andrew's arm, but in terms of what he's able to do, both as an athlete and mentally, um, he said just to come in there and learn Joe Brady's offense and, and run it to the level that he did. He said it just you know shows phenomenal mental acuity. Uh, yeah. He said he said look just the bottom line is he's a winner. He said his coaches and team. He said you, you go and talk to the LSU guys, coaches and teammates absolutely love him. Um, has a real work ethic. Um, so he was all in on on Burrow. He, he talked about Justin Herbert and he said you know he likes Herbert. He said he does frighten me a little. He said you know the things that you love are the things that you see. You know, he can, you know, he has phenomenal physical talents. He said, you know, you go and, um, you know, he says, you know, 6'6", 240. He said, um, although he very did, different. Although he weighed only 200, yeah. 227 yeah. 26 pounds. or something, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, Everybody was wondering what that was about. He said that he had know. just slimmed down since the kid, since the season ended, so. That's fine. It is what it is. Uh, he said, obviously, very different personalities to Burrow. He says, highly, highly intelligent at all. Interesting, he said he's almost too intelligent. He said, he said once, a kid, once a coach tells him something, he said he's wired to do exactly what the coach says. He said, and that to me is scary. He said, he, he said, I like a guy that will go off platform a little bit. Um, he said, Herbert's a pleaser. He said, he'll test off the charts. He'll eat right. He'll always be in great shape. We'll always do the right things. We'll always say the right things. Won't ever go and slam beers with the O-line. Never going to embarrass the organization. You know exactly what you're getting with him. He said, I, I saw him live in practice and he was incredibly impressive. He said, he makes every throw. He said, the ball comes off his hand and it's special. It's perfect. It's like going to see a great concert player where the music is so damn good. Mm-hmm. He said, but the inconsistency that you see on tape makes me nervous. He said, I think he played very poorly down the stretch. He said, and I hope it wasn't the pressure of a potential Rose Bowl. He said, leadership to me is a red flag, not natural to him at all. Spends lots of time, spent a lot of time hanging out with his parents rather than his friends. He said, what's that about? 
He said, I think he's worth a chance, but I worry that he can't handle the big stage and that he's just too much of a pleaser, which I thought was, you know, kind of ties in pretty neatly with some of the yeah, stuff that we've thought. That's interesting because I heard a quote and uh, I can't reveal this person's name, but they told me this. They told me that Justin Herbert is like going to watch the, the Beatles, but they play, they never play anything off of their Sgt. Pepper's album. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like uh, do you're, all excited. you're all excited, but you're always left wanting a little bit more. And you're like, and you keep wondering if it's coming, but it never comes. Mm. It, you know what I mean? No, hundred so. percent. So he said on tour, he said, two is another guy that makes me nervous. He said, obviously the medical, that's, that's the concern. He said, can absolutely handle the big stage. He said, people try and compare it to Steve Young. And I don't see that. He said, he's mobile, but not necessarily a big scrambler. He's essentially a six foot three quarter release pocket passer. He's best with some things that really make you sit up. His accuracy and field vision are superior. And the ability to manipulate the pocket and throw from multiple platforms. And interestingly, and this is something we've talked about, and actually something I talked to Tua about when I spoke to him earlier in the season. He said, the question for me beyond his health is that he's going to be playing with significantly lesser talent in the NFL than he had at Alabama. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I really want, he said, you know, I'd love to go to the team that drafts him on the first day of practice and see what he does when he walks out because he's going to walk out, he said, and see a supporting cast that's significantly worse than the one that he had, you know, at college. Um, He said, maybe I expected too much from him, but the most interesting thing he said about him was that I have Tua as the third guy and he wasn't close to being the second guy, which I found fascinating. He and I had a bit of discussion about it. Um, he said, Jacob Easton's a guy he likes. I take Easton round while he's got talent, especially in that arm, which is really live. He said, you can fix some of the read and recognition issues that show up on film with good coaching because that's what he needs. He said, but you know, and this, this again shows up when he gets hot and you know, he becomes one of the best pure passers in, in college football. He said, he's really, really talented in that, that obviously, you know, for anyone who's sat and watched him, he said, he's as talented as there is in college football when he's in rhythm. They'll just sit, sit back there and sling it. He said, you know, other GM scouts around the league, you know, said that they love the maturity that he showed and how he handled the Georgia situation. The fact that he then went across the country and sat out a year and came in and played really well. Um, he said, you know, he's a guy that a GM, and this is a guy that's not looking for a quarterback. This is a GM who's not looking for a QB. Um, so I think that's why he was speaking more freely. He said, Jordan Love, he said that, and I quote, the Love kid scares me. He said he, he had a very poor season compared to 2018. He said, obviously, a lot of changes on the team, off and on field personnel, coaching staff, and you take that into consideration. He said, but it just doesn't excuse some of his bad play, some of his bad interceptions. And then he just went off and on about the, the marijuana things. So, you know, so this is a guy who's talked about, you know, wanting to be in the NFL since he was five years old. Mm-hmm. Why would you get involved with that five months before the draft? He said, that is an all-time dumb move. And kind of it is pretty dumb, really. He said, you know, this is your future and you, you're in danger like that. He said, you know, on the field, he has some serious arm talent. He said, but he, he needs some some proper coaching, um, which I thought was interesting. And then Jake Fromm is his number six guy. And he said, look, it's a great kid. I'm a Fromm fan. I've been a Fromm fan from the beginning. He's won a lot of games, a lot of big games. The trust the staff have in him, he, he clearly needs that offense. Um, and look, he beat out pretty, two pretty good kids in Easton and Justin Fields. Um, but he said, look, ultimately, he's a game manager. He's a well-coached one. He's very intelligent. He's a good leader. He said, but I just don't like the arm talent or the athletic ability. It's very average by NFL standards. Uh, he said, he reminds me of Matt Hasselbeck. He said, I'm pulling for him because he's a great kid, but he's just not talented enough. Um, he said, I think he was held back some by that offense at Georgia, which was pretty bad. He said, but I just don't think he's going to make a particularly big jump in the pros. So very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, t- very I tend interesting. to agree with a, with a lot of the things that that mm. that he said, but I, I in on Tua Tagovailoa, I would say this: we have three first round picks. 
I think he's perfect for that fifth pick because we have three first round picks. If we only had one first round pick and we would have to mortgage three years of this team's future, yeah, I'd start to think about other quarterbacks and maybe taking a Jordan Love late in the first round if I could, or possibly Jacob Eason late in the first yeah. round. But that's not the case. I think we're one of the few teams that have the luxury of saying, you know what, we're not wasting a pick. We're investing a pick. And sometimes when you make an investment, guess what? And sometimes they don't win, you know, they don't gain. Sometimes investments lose, lose you money. So mm. I think we are in a special position to just say we have three first round picks. We could use one on what we think is a generational quarterback. Mm. Well, all right. Uh, later on this week, we will have a Super Bowl preview. We will have Chris Kaufman here with me. We will have Simon Clancy here with me. It'll be a full boat, and we will talk 49ers, Chiefs. So that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys later on this week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.